But we are this morning continuing in the book of Acts. And so we're in Acts chapter 1 this morning. And uh, looking at the next section, we did the introduction last week and we'll continue on. But as you uh, open there and get ready there in, in Acts chapter 1, let me ask you a question. What are you passionate about? Um, what is it that once you start talking about it, it's hard to get you to stop? Uh, and people will just kind of tune out because you just keep going on and on and on about it. Um, I, I imagine if you, you look around the, the room, you can probably even pick what some of the people around here are passionate about because, you know, if you ask them about it, you're going to be in that conversation for a, a little while. Um, but we're all passionate about something, and you can tell because if you ask us about it, we will talk and talk about it. And it's that, that idea. So I want you to keep that in mind. If you think, well, that's what I'm passionate about. And that's, keep that idea in mind as we go through this morning. But as we began Acts and looked at, at Luke's introduction, um, we learned that Luke's purpose in writing, well, Acts and, and, uh, and Luke, his gospel, both books, is to, to fill us with confidence. He wants us to be confident about what we believe. And in that confidence, then be committed to uh, serving and living it out because of the confidence we have found in him. And so we saw last week as he introduced us to this idea of the continuing work of God that he wants us to remember what Jesus began, thinking of the gospel and, and what that is. So we remember what Jesus began, believe what Jesus did, and hope in what Jesus will do. And that's where he's pushing us forward now, is, is to remember those things that we, we've seen in the gospel, what he began there with the disciples, what he did in his death and resurrection, and now looking forward to what does all that mean as we move forward as a people of God in the world. And that's where we go with, with Acts. The thing is, so... We ask if, if that's his purpose. So his purpose is to fill us with confidence and to, to get us to a place where we are so filled with confidence that we're committed to live for it. Why does he want us to be so filled with confidence? Because our, our faith involves more than just believing the right thing. To be a Christian is much more than just to, to believe what Jesus did and to, to believe the right things in the Bible. As we see, as we're going to read here, and you're probably familiar with already, we have a mission. We have a duty to proclaim this gospel. So what we say we believe is what we are committed and commissioned to proclaim and to preach. And if we're going to do that, if we're going to fulfill this mission, we need confidence in it. We need confidence in what we believe and that confidence to make us deeply committed to fulfilling that mission. Luke, as we'll see here just a second as we read, gives us another account of the ascension. But this time, unlike the end of Acts, the, the focus isn't on what happened. It's not on the events. The focus is on what Jesus said. And so let's read through that now. We're going to read from where we stopped last week, which was verse 6, and we're going to read through verse 11 of Acts chapter 1. So it says, Therefore... When they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. 
But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go in to heaven. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for the blessing to praise you and sing your, your worship and to be encouraged by one another. And we pray today as we come to your word that indeed we would, would know the power of the Spirit through your word and in our lives this morning to empower us to our calling. Thank you and praise you in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. So as Luke gives us here another brief account of the ascension here, like I said, it's not about what happens, which is why it's so brief. It's just they watched him go up into heaven. The emphasis is on what Jesus said before. And I've said it before that verse 8 really is kind of the, the theme of Luke. It's the theme of the book of Acts going right throughout. It gives us the outline of what Acts is about. So it talks about the gospel being uh, the Holy Spirit coming and then the spread of the gospel from Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And that's pretty much how we can outline Acts and what takes place all the way through. But verse 8 is much more than just an outline of the book. Verse 8 is the heart of what Acts is about. This is the, the beating heart of, of what this, this letter is all about. But it's not just what the book of Acts is about. This is what Christianity is about. It's about what we as Christians are about. This is at the heart of who we are and what we are called to do. So as we look at this, I've titled the sermon, It's Time to Go. Time to go, because it's time for Jesus to go, and he ascends, and as he goes, it's time for us to go out, to go and preach the gospel. So it's time to go, and we've got two thoughts this morning we're going to look at. It's time to go because the mission is great, and it's time to go because the reward is coming. So let's start here at the beginning as we consider what's in this text. It's time to go because the mission is great. Verse 6 and 7 begin, and as Jesus has been with them and spent 40 days kind of in and out and moving around amongst the believers and the apostles, he's been teaching them a lot. It says in verse 6, Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. So we began just, just before Jesus leaves them to the mission and gives them what he's about to do. There is a change of perspective that needs to take place. Change for all of us in our, our perspective. Change our perspective. Now, the, the question that the disciples ask, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel at this time, is, well, look, it's, it's not a bad question. They, they certainly have reason to ask it. But in the question, what it shows is that they have misunderstood a great deal of what Jesus has been saying. So their desire is good. They have a good desire here. 
And what we, we know the desire is good because we see in verse 3 that for these 40 days, in between when Jesus resurrected and the first time he showed himself to them, and this day when he's going to ascend, those 40 days Jesus has been teaching them and predominantly it has involved the gospel of the kingdom, talking to them about the kingdom. And he's been preaching that through his, his life. So they are still thinking about the kingdom, but what they have done is they have misunderstood much of what Jesus has said about the kingdom. They didn't fully grasp what was going on. They are still very much like Palm Sunday, looking for Jesus to establish his kingdom. Well, Jesus, it wasn't before you died you were going to bring the kingdom, but now you've died and you've resurrected, and you're, so now are you going to bring the kingdom? Is that what it's going to be? Now we can have? We just had to wait that little bit? So they haven't really been listening. And Jesus doesn't answer their question, really. So they ask him, is now the time? And Jesus says, don't worry about time. It's none of your business. Uh, don't worry about the times or the signs or the seasons. Now, that doesn't mean that the kingdom isn't important, that it's not something we ought to pursue or to contemplate and to look for. Jesus clearly teaches it's important, and the kingdom becomes a very important part of the book of Acts all the way through because that's what Jesus has been preaching. But their desire for Christ to reign and to God fulfill his promises, well, that's a, that's a good and noble desire. It just has the wrong focus. It's the wrong focus. Jesus tells them, don't worry about the timing of the kingdom. That's the Father's business. As the Father knows, he's already predetermined when it will happen, how it will happen, and what will happen when it takes place. That's the Father's business. It's not yours to know the times of when it's going to happen. So while their desire may be good, their misunderstandings were fairly significant in understanding what God was going to do. Notice also that when they ask the question, they don't say, are you now going to bring the kingdom? It's very narrow. Now are you going to bring the kingdom to Israel? It's a very narrow view of what God or what Jesus has been teaching through the whole time he's been on earth. They're still thinking the way they had been brought up, the way they had been taught all along. What are they thinking? When they ask this question, what is it they're thinking? They want God's blessing on them. They want what's, what brings them joy and satisfaction to them and to their people. They've completely missed the truth that was even present in the Old Testament. And all the way through the Old Testament, the truth was the same. The kingdom was never just about Israel, although they were significantly part of it. But Israel was to be a light to the world, to show the world who God was. And even now, the disciples are still missing that. But we often have the same myopic view, that same short-sightedness in God's work. Our life and our focus become about Christians. And we become about what God can bless us with and looking forward to heaven. We want to live in the bliss of God's people. They wanted the kingdom to come. We want heaven to come. We want all the bliss and the joys and the glories of what God will do then, now. Our desire is right. There's no wrong in desiring to be with God and to be in the, the bliss of God's people in perfection forever. But our focus is wrong. God will bring his kingdom. Heaven will 
will come. God will bring eternity and he will establish it as he has planned. The time will come when we will live in the glory of God and in the bliss and the beauty of God's people. But right now, our job is not that. Right now, our duty is to advance the gospel. That's what we're called to do. And that's what Jesus is moving them forward to do. Lord, will you bring the kingdom now? Listen, guys, that's not up to you. It's not for you to know right now, and it doesn't really matter about that right now. What I want you to do is advance the gospel in the world. He might say the same to us in, in some ways. And, and, and God, will you send your blessings to us now? Can we enjoy all the, the, the beauty and the fellowship? Well, that's great. I'm glad you enjoy the people of God, and I'm glad you enjoy the blessings. But I want you to advance the gospel. That's what you need to be about. So in saying this, in saying this and and moving them to change their perspective uh, a little bit as we need our perspective changed, he then makes the promise of power. His power is promised. And he says in verse 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you uh, you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. He promises the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Spirit. Don't worry about the future. There's work to be done now. The mission Jesus is about to give them. So when he says, uh, you wait for the Holy Spirit, he's about to give them a mission which we see at the end of verse 8. But the mission which Jesus is about to give them, which we still carry, is enormous. Absolutely enormous. A task that is still unfinished. Still unfinished. A mission that we are still working on. There is no no banner behind us that says, mission accomplished. We're not there yet. We have not achieved God's purpose yet. Often when we think about this and we think about reaching the world with Jesus Christ, we become overwhelmed or daunted or even defeated because it's a mission we cannot do alone it is a mission we cannot even do together it is a mission which we can only do with divine help with the spirit now the holy spirit as he is sent into the world and to the believers has many important roles but as we see from jesus here the main purpose God sends the Spirit into the world and to his believers is to empower us to be witnesses. That is the main purpose the Spirit comes. Yes, he does a lot of things, a lot of other very, very important things in our life and in this world. But the main reason he is sent is to empower us to share the gospel, to preach the truth of the gospel. The Spirit teaches us. The Spirit guides us. The Spirit empowers us. He encourages us as God's people. But through doing that, he draws people to believe in Jesus as Savior. He convicts them, Jesus said the night before he died, of sin and of righteousness and of judgment so that they will know their need of forgiveness. He opens the eyes of the blind to see the truth of those things, and he applies that salvation 
to those who see the truth. We have a supernatural mission and supernatural assistance to do that mission. I want you to notice what he says. He says, but you shall receive power. You shall receive power. This power of the Spirit which he sends is the power in you as the people of God. The Holy Spirit isn't some force or some idea or some influence that comes generally speaking to the world. The Holy Spirit comes personally to God's people. To each one of us who believes in Jesus Christ, you shall receive power. That's me, and that's you. As you believe in Jesus Christ, you receive the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. We're told through the rest of the New Testament in many places that the Spirit indwells every believer. And this is part of what we see taking place in Acts, is the Spirit indeed doing that, coming and indwelling and making his presence known in the world Again, much, there is much that the Spirit does for you, but all of it has one great purpose. All of the work that the Spirit does in your life has one great motivating purpose. This, preach the gospel. Proclaim the good news, empowering you to carry out God's mission. This is not some of us. It's not just an empowerment for some of us. It is an empowerment for all of us, to do the work of God. So what is he empowering us to do? Christ must be proclaimed. This is what he is empowering us to do. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. We are to proclaim Christ. To proclaim Christ. The Spirit empowers us to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. The disciples asked about the kingdom for Israel. And Jesus tells them that the work of God is bigger than Israel. Bigger than that. Requires them to look up out of their their myopic short-sightedness to look past their own desire for their own blessings and their own uh, little uh, idea of what the kingdom is, to look past that and to see the grand purpose of God. To see what God is doing beyond their little band, their little tribe. To be a witness for Jesus Christ, in a very real sense, is not something you choose to be. When we become believers in Jesus Christ, we don't then get a choice, do we become a witness or don't we? There is no choice in that. We are witnesses for Jesus Christ. The real question is not will we be or won't we be. The real question is how effective will we be? That's the real question here. Peter tells us in 1 Peter but sanctify the Lord God in your heart. So just put him aside, make him the, the preeminent in your life and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and in fear. Just always be ready to proclaim Christ. The extent of our witness, as we see in these verses, is to the end of the world. 
starts where we're at, Jerusalem, and it moves out, and we're to begin spreading that out. And that's, pardon me, clearly how Acts goes. It starts in Jerusalem at the beginning of Acts, and at the end of Acts, we're in Rome, and the gospel is everywhere. And that hasn't finished. Still need to proclaim the gospel. Said some figures say up to 40% of the world is still unreached, which means there is no real effective uh, message of the gospel and of Jesus Christ within their community. Now, contrary to what many people think, we are all natural evangelists. We often say, well, that's not really my thing. I'm not, not good at that. We are all natural evangelists. Now, if you remember right back at the beginning, I asked you a question. What are you passionate about? And something probably came into your head. Say, that's what I'm passionate about. That's what I like to talk about. And somebody asks you about that. What do you do? You tell them about it, and you tell them about it, and you tell them about it. You are a natural evangelist for those things. Ask any parent about their children. They are an evangelist about their children. They will talk for hours if you let them about their children and how proud they are of what they do and where they go. If you're a sports fan, your sports fans can go on and on and on about their team and about what's going on and where it's going. Maybe it's for you politics or it's music or it's movies or or maybe it's anti-vaccine. You get those people going and there's no stopping there. But when you think about it, we are all natural evangelists. If we are passionate about something, we will speak about it. And we will tell anybody who asks us about it. Now, sure, there are some differences. Nobody is going to hate you because you are proud of your children. They may hate you if you just go on and on and on about your paleo diet, but that's a different story. But nobody's going to hate you for being passionate about some of the things. So there is a difference about that in the gospel. But the truth remains, if we are genuinely passionate about something, it comes out. We speak it. We talk about it. It consumes who we are and what we do. This is why Luke wants us to have confidence. This is why Luke wrote his gospel and wrote the book of Acts, because he wants us to be convinced That what we believe is worth speaking about. That what we believe is worth talking about. It's worth proclaiming. That's why the Spirit empowers us. So it's not just about me being passionate about something, but now it's me being passionate about what God has done in my life and empowered to proclaim it through God himself. You can do it. Our mission is to tell the world about Jesus. Not only do we need to proclaim Christ, but we need to pray for Then he said to them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Pray for each other. Encourage one another in the proclamation of the gospel. Pray that God would send more out to preach the gospel, to proclaim his name. World travel is is difficult these days in in our society at the moment. So pray for those where others may have gone and now they are there on their own. Pray for those who are still learning and growing outside of our regions and our realms that need the gospel proclaimed. 
Pray that God would raise up people in those areas around the world where now they can't be reached as easily as they were. Pray for more people to reach our own country. We talked a, a few uh, weeks ago, I think it was on a Wednesday night, about, about the country towns in WA. We're in many of the country towns in our own state. It is hard to find good gospel witness. We know that it's time to go because the mission is great. But what we're also reminded of here is it's time to go because the reward is coming. Verse 9 says, Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go in to heaven. One of the things that we quickly learn here about this is that time is passing. Time is short. What are we waiting for? What are we waiting for to present the gospel? Now, it's hard to fault the disciples here in this this moment because when was the last time you saw somebody ascend up into heaven? So it's it's hard to, to fault them just standing there staring up because you just don't see that. It just doesn't happen. So there they are, just in, in awe of what happened, standing in amazement. But it's also, they're not just standing there in, in amazement. That As they stand there, it's, it's, the gazing up means they're longingly looking up. Jesus, the one they love, the one who has given them everything, the one who has been part of their life and the, the most powerful part of their life for three years now is is gone and they're they're looking up to the sky longingly missing jesus it's like when we go to the airport to see loved ones off and we we stand there and we watch them get on the plane and then we watch the plane take off and as it takes off we wave at the plane in the sky there's that sense of of longing, missing them, and loneliness as we know they're going and that's that's the disciples there they're standing there staring up into the sky and He's gone. He's gone. Now what? And so the two angels come and say, guys, what are you doing standing around? You've got stuff to do. You've got work to do. So let's get about doing it. What are you waiting for? Is essentially what the angel tells them. The same is true for us. What are we waiting for? Listen, the truth is people are not going to come to this church. We can't sit here and just expect people to come in. That's not how it works. That's not how it's ever worked. We have to go. We have to go. We have to speak and we have to bring them in. Now is the time to go. We've got to go out to them. There is no time to waste. Time is short. Now is the time to be busy about God's work. Now is not the time to be sitting around wondering and wishing for heaven. Now is the time to be about the business of our Father. Work while it's day, for the night is coming, Jesus says. And this is why Luke is encouraging us in Acts. It's what Acts is about. It's showing us the power of God at work. 
It's showing us what can happen when the people of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, proclaim the message of God in the world. Pointing us to believe that power. Jesus had to go. Now we must go. And his return is powerful. He had to go, but the angels remind the disciples, he had to go, you have work to do, but he is coming back. And he will return in power. This time he will return as a powerful king. The powerful king. The angels encourage them with the promise of his return, and we are still living in the hope and the promise of his return. That promise is to encourage those that believe. It's also a reminder of the urgency. An urgency to proclaim the gospel. There is a window of time. We have to share the gospel. There is a window of time. A time of grace in which the gospel can be believed and salvation can be found. And when Jesus comes back, that window closes. And there is no more opportunity. And when Christ returns, he returns in power. He comes to reward the faithful. But he also comes to punish the wicked. All those who live in rebellion to God will be judged. All those who have rejected salvation in Jesus Christ will be judged. Which is why we preach Christ crucified risen and coming again. This is a powerful motivation, his return. It's sobering, but it's also joyful. We look forward to his return. We work hard now and we look forward to his return because for those who believe when he returns, there are great rewards. There is beauty and glory and the benefit of what God has done. What, when, when Christ returns, we have the great and wonderful reward of seeing what God has done through us through the salvation of people. Bringing glory to him through salvation. The kingdom we long for will appear. What we hope for will finally be here. People will have been saved from the wrath that is to come. And God will reward each of his people with eternal rewards. Joy and glory and things which he rewards us with for our work so that we can give to him in praise. Acts 1.8 But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That's the heart of Acts. It's what the rest of this book is about, that. But it's the heart of Christianity. Through the power of the Spirit, we proclaim the gospel to those near and those far. This mission should shape, shape this church. It should be reflected in our priorities. This mission should shape our lives individually. Now, that doesn't mean that we all have to be pastors or missionaries and travel and, and give ourselves fully and, and whole time in the preaching of the gospel. But it does mean that we need to leverage what God has done in our lives for the proclamation of the gospel. 
that where I'm at and what God has done in my life, good and bad, and everything that I do and everything I pursue is for the proclaiming of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that others will find salvation. We have a short time on this earth. Just a short time. Let's not waste it pursuing trivial things. We are witnesses. It is who we are. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that, yes, you have, you have left us with, with a task which is, is, is daunting and in, in sometimes, some ways, fearful. But you have not left us to our own devices. You have empowered us to this very task. The Holy Spirit, whom you have sent to each one of us, teaches us and makes us more like Jesus Christ, so that in our words and in our actions, we are proclaiming salvation. We are living for the glory of God and the salvation of people. Help us, dear God, to be effective, powerful witnesses as we surrender to the work of the Spirit within our lives. We thank you and praise you in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.